a year ago, I was considering buying a new computer, or at least a monitor. Mine was seven years old. The screen was getting dim. The details were hard to discern on the screen. That was a year ago. More recently, in just the last two months, I've had cataract surgery on both eyes. <laughs> and what do you know? It fixed the computer. <laughs> How foolish I was that I was paying more attention to a piece of equipment, an ordinary thing like that, instead of paying attention to how well I was seeing, far more important that was. That happens to be the theme of today's gospel reading about the importance, the significance of seeing what we're seeing and how we're seeing. The Greek verb for see is horao. In this passage that I'm going to read, it occurs, that verb does seven times. Translated as see, present tense, or saw, past tense. One time it is translated behold. But it's always the same verb, horao. As I read, please notice the significance of seeing, of these verbs. Not just to see the not just to count the number of occurrences, but to notice the significance of seeing in what transpires in this passage. It's John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of the Lord. The story here of Nathaniel meeting Jesus 
progresses with a beginning and a middle and an end. All three sections speak significantly about seeing. The beginning section is verses 43 through 46. In this section, we find Nathaniel to be a skeptic. It begins, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. That sounds like a very ordinary event. But by deciding to go to Galilee, Jesus is doing something much larger, much more significant. He is moving into, into action. Other larger events, especially for Nathaniel, who didn't even know Jesus yet and didn't know about Jesus' decision to go to Galilee. But having decided to go to Galilee, Jesus found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. It was a provocative thing to say because he meant drop everything else you're doing, Philip, and follow me above any other leader. Jesus said that to many people, and he meant it. Philip then went to Nathanael. He found Nathanael and said to him what we, first person plural pronoun, probably referring to himself with Andrew and Peter, whom John has just mentioned, for they were all three from the same town of Bethsaida. They knew each other. So, so Philip says, we have found Jesus of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. That is, that means the promised Messiah. All the prophetic, all the prophecies through the whole Old Testament referring someday to a Messiah who would come. All of them are speaking of Jesus, Philip says. We have found the one. What? <laughs> Do they think, really think that they have found the one of whom the great writers of the Old Testament for centuries and centuries have found that they have found that one and that it turns out to be a local guy right there in Nazareth of all places. And so Nathaniel scorned what Philip thought he had found. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel was a skeptic, skeptical of the possibility that this Jesus would have any relevance for his life. But by telling Philip to follow him to Galilee, Jesus was significantly turning Philip into an evangelist. Philip addressed Nathaniel's scornful skepticism by inviting Nathaniel to come and see. In other words, be curious, come and find out for yourself. The preceding passage from last week has told us back in verse 39 that Jesus had given exactly the same come and see invitation to two disciples of John the Baptist, 
One of those two disciples was identified in the passage last week as Andrew. The other one is unnamed. Some people think perhaps it was John, the apostle who's writing this narrative, because other places in the Gospel of John, he referred to himself without naming himself. It's also possible that this unnamed disciple of John the Baptist was Philip. Perhaps Philip is now repeating to Nathanael the same invitation that, G that he heard Jesus give to him and to Andrew. This come and see invitation would become the pattern for Christian witness ever since then. That's what a large, significant thing Jesus is setting into motion here in this scene. For centuries, people have found that Jesus is the Messiah of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. And so they have gone about inviting other people. Most of us here today, if not all of us, <clears throat> have become Christians through such an invitation as that. Maybe from a parent, maybe from a teacher, maybe from a friend. Somebody said to us, in effect, come and see for yourself. Now, as we follow Jesus, we go and find others. And we testify to them about what we have found in Jesus. And some people we're going to meet as we testify about Jesus. Some people are going to be like Nathaniel, who think Jesus has no relevance for their lives and they will scorn the testimony that we have shared with them. Stop and think for a minute about why that is so today. That is, why do people today commonly think that Jesus has no relevance for their lives and so they will scorn our testimony about him? Christian faith today is commonly regarded today as individualistic, as tribal, as political, as irrelevant to life in, as it is in most of the world. So what do you say to a skeptic when you have shared what you have found in Jesus and they scorn what you say? What do you say to a skeptic today? Well, we can say something, surely something we can say about what we find in Jesus that is true and real and good and beautiful and life-giving because Jesus is all of that. And the gospel is all of that. The gospel of Christ is real and true and good and beautiful and, and life-giving. And then, having said something to that skeptic about that, then we can say, come and see for yourself. And notice that Nathaniel, though skeptical here in this passage, when Philip said that to him, come and see, though he was a skeptic and though he scorned what Philip had said, Nathaniel did go to see Jesus. 
This is how it happened in my own life. It's how I became a Christian. When I arrived as a freshman at Washington University, I knew nothing of Jesus, nothing of the Bible. Christian students in InterVarsity found me, befriended me, gave me a New Testament, invited me to explore what Jesus said and did. I thought all religion was myth and all faith was subjective with no basis in objective truth. But their invitation to me to come and see was so disarming that I could hardly refuse. Like Nathaniel, I went to explore. The Christians had told me that the place to find out more about Jesus would be in the Bible, especially in the gospel accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so I went there. I read that, and I read the whole Bible. And I read other books, and I, and I asked lots of questions. And the more I investigated, the more I was surprised at what I found. I was surprised that I found the Christian faith to have intellectual integrity to it, real reasons to believe. And I was surprised to find the Christian life to have moral integrity to it that I could respect and that I had to respect. And I was surprised to find that the deep need that I knew I had in myself was a need for exactly what Jesus in those gospel accounts claimed to be. Still today, friends, we can invite others to find out about Jesus, to come and see. And we can do that confident that there is truth to be found. That's the first part of Nathaniel's experience there, the skeptic. The middle part is verses 47 through 49, where Nathaniel, the skeptic, becomes Nathaniel, the discoverer. It begins again with something that sounds quite ordinary on Jesus' part. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming. Quite an ordinary act. But Jesus then spoke of Nathanael very significantly about seeing. He says, behold, see, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. We've already seen in Nathanael's impulsive comment about Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We've seen that Nathanael was a man who spoke freely what he was thinking and feeling. He didn't disguise it for a calculated impression. You always know when someone like Nathanael, what, what someone like Nathanael is thinking, in that sense, he has no deceit. He's not concealing anything. Nathanael was surprised that Jesus knew his personality without having met him, so he asked, how do you know me? And Jesus replied with another surprise, a bigger surprise for Nathanael. He said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. The Greek syntax here conveys the drama of what Jesus was saying here. The preposition before introduces a complex clause with two verbs in the phrase before Philip called you. The verb called is an infinitive verb. To call, you could translate it. 
And in the phrase, when you were under the fig tree, the verb were is a participle. You could translate it being. It's a present participle. That means these two verbs, called and were, were not the primary verbs of Jesus' sentence here. These are circumstantial verbs. And they set up the primary surprising event, the main event of what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel here. The main event is, Nathaniel, I saw you. And Nathaniel, true to his character, responded without hesitation and said, Rabbi, you must be the Son of God, the King of Israel. And when he called him Son of God, Nathaniel was using this very same name that John the Baptist had used in the preceding passage in verse 34, where John the Baptist said, Behold, the Son of God. And calling him King of Israel, Nathaniel is referring to the Old Testament prophecy that a descendant of David would someday reign as King of Israel and his reign would last forever. In other words, the Messiah. Nathaniel discovers here what he had scorned about what Philip thought he had found. Now, Nathaniel discovers that it's true, and he himself can say it. Jesus saw and knew Nathaniel for who he was, who Nathaniel was, and as a result, Nathaniel saw and knew Jesus for who he was. That's how it happens, and that's how it happens in our lives, too. First, Jesus knows us, and then, therefore, we know him. Jesus sees and knows us before we know him. As we get to know him, we discover that he knew us first because he is first, just as John the Baptist said back in verse 30, we discover Jesus and what we see of him draws us to believe him and to follow him and to go and tell others what we have found in Jesus. We tell others what we see. And that's why those Christian students 58 years ago went to find me and tell me what they had seen Jesus to be, the Son of God. It is simply too wonderful a discovery to keep it to ourselves. They were compelled to go and find others to tell them, and they found me. That's the second part of Nathaniel's experience, that he came to see who Jesus was, even though his understanding was limited still at that point, but he saw truth about Jesus. And then the third part of Nathaniel's experience is in verses 50 and 51. Here, Nathaniel is one who will see far more. Jesus told him, because I told you, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see, Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these. Jesus, therefore, affirmed believing as the proper response to what Nathaniel has seen. 
And he says, yes, Nathaniel, believe. That's right. And get ready to believe more. You will see greater things, far greater things than ever before. You will see heaven opened. And you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. That's what he's going to see. The gospel tells us many greater things like that one. Like seeing God incarnate, the eternal, infinite God incarnate. That's what we're going to see. Being forgiven of all sins, yes, that too. Being born again by the Spirit of God, yes, that too. And having eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth, that too we will see. I have a friend about my age who just recently told me that he sees no rational reason, no rational basis for believing in God. Now, I want to be a person who is rational in my judgment, so I can respect his desire to be a rational person. But relying on rationalism alone will not bring us into all that is true or what is most importantly true. It'll keep us, in fact, from believing things that are real and true. For example, heaven opened, angels ascending and descending. <laughs> that picture, that image of heaven opening and angels ascending and descending referred to our Old Testament reading that Brad read. <clears throat> no, that, uh, that, that uh, Michael read. You read that one. In Genesis 28, in that passage, in Genesis 28, Jacob, you remember, I hope, Jacob was a deceiver. He was a rational schemer to whom God gave a powerful firsthand experience of God's presence there in that passage. When Jacob saw heaven opened and angels ascending and descending, he believed and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it, but now I do. <clears throat> to Nathaniel now, Jesus promised something beyond his rationality, something he hadn't seen yet, but he would. Perhaps it was because Nathaniel was not a deceiver. He was not a rational schemer like Jacob, and because of that, Nathaniel was more ready to imagine, to use his imagination and imagine a reality that Jacob, that Jacob had seen in firsthand experience. Jesus was saying, Nathaniel, follow me and you will see and you will believe things you never dreamed were possible. What is it that Jesus is referring to? What would Nathaniel see? I think it is this. It's, it, could, it means a lot of things, but at least this is one thing that it meant. That Jesus was God himself. God himself come down from heaven to earth to save the world. That was way beyond 
beyond belief for all of Jesus' followers at first. And it wasn't until later that Jesus began to tell them more and more explicitly that he was God himself among them. Now trace the progress that we've seen in the experience of Nathaniel. Three, three stages to his story here. In the beginning, verses 43 to 46, Nathaniel did not believe Jesus. He was a decided skeptic. In the middle portion, verses 47 through 49, Nathaniel explored and came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and King of Israel, though his understanding was still limited. And then in the end, verses 50 and 51, Jesus promised that Nathaniel will see even greater things. Nathaniel will see that Jesus opened heaven and came to us from heaven, for he is the God of heaven incarnate. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus would later say to Philip, in fact. And if that's so, of course angels would be accompanying him when he came. No surprise if that's who he is. Nathaniel would be able to say what John Newton later wrote and what we sang already this morning. I was blind, but now I see. In this whole chapter now, John chapter 1 that we have been reading over several weeks now, multiple eyewitnesses have testified to what they saw and came to believe about Jesus. Among those witnesses were John the Baptist, Philip, Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, and John, who wrote this. Seeing who Jesus was changed them, changed them into people who believed, and because they believed, changed them into people who went to find others as followers of Jesus. They went with joy to find others. They made commitments with their lives and kept those commitments. They followed Jesus even when they suffered for it and died for it. They planted communities of love. They left their homes to go to the nations of the world and bring the gospel to the nations because the gospel of Christ is true and real and good and beautiful and life-giving. None of it was easy for Jesus' followers to believe at first, but they were compelled by what they found in Jesus. Namely, that Jesus is the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, so they followed him because it meant they were aligning themselves with the central agent for the carrying out of all of God's purposes for all of human history. Now that's worth telling the skeptics of the world. Isn't it? And they found that Jesus was of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So they believed and followed not a religious myth, but a real historical person who actually said and did the kinds of things that compelled skeptics like Nathaniel to become believers in Jesus as the son of God. That's worth telling the skeptics of the world today that we meet. And they found that Jesus saw and knew them before they knew him. So they believed and trusted Jesus. And we can too. And we can invite skeptics to believe that too. They found that Jesus is the prophesied son of God and king of Israel who reigns now and will reign forever, whose kingdom will never end. And oh, dear friends, you know 
the world today is a dangerous place, danger with pandemic, danger with, with, with unstable economy, danger with wars, danger with, with extreme weather catastrophes. The world is a dangerous place. And I can tell you, the skeptics that you will meet know that it is a dangerous world. They see it with us. They know it's a dangerous world. And so, when we tell them that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel, the promised Messiah, we're telling them something that matters for the skeptics. Testify to that. And they found that Jesus is the true Son of God and man. What we sang in the first verse, first line of the first verse that we, first of the hymn that we sang this morning. Fully God, fully man, who saves us with a sure salvation because nobody else but one who was God and man could do that. And they found that Jesus has opened heaven to bring the presence, power, and love of God now, not just in the afterlife. That's why we love each other now, because we know we have the love of God now, so we can love each other. And, dear friends, the skeptics of the world, the skeptics to whom you share your testimony of faith in Christ, they care about love. Authentic love is something that skeptics long to see. I meet regularly with my grandchildren to study the Bible together and to pray together. Recently, I read this story, this passage that I have taken us through now with my 18-year-old grandson, Warren. After we had talked over the passage, I said to Warren, if you were to give a title to this story, this passage, what would you give to it? And he thought just very briefly for a, a second, and he said, one important dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, Warren, you've got it. I was thrilled that he grasped what this was, why, why this was so significant here. So, finally, what about you? What will you do with what you see of Jesus? If you do not yet believe and follow Jesus, will you come and see for yourself? Explore. Discover Jesus. And if you do already believe and follow Jesus, will you come and see greater things about Jesus? Believe more of his greatness. Follow him more freely with joy and invite others to him as well. Whatever it is that you're going to do with this, I can assure you, Jesus already sees you. He already knows you. He already loves you. So let's ask him what he wants us to do with it. Join me in prayer, please. <clears throat> Jesus, great, wonderful, stunning, magnificent Jesus that we saw in that passage that Brad read earlier. Jesus, give us eyes to see you clearly. And we ask you to give us hearts to believe you fully. 
And we ask you to give us wills to follow you freely. And we ask you to give us joy to invite others to you. Let it be, Lord, because we pray it believing in who you are, Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Amen.